Hello and welcome to the March 22nd, 2019 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It is awesome to have everybody here with me today, and of course, it's always wonderful to be out there with you as well. It has been quite some time, as you all know. Uh, I really miss that music. <laughs> i got to tell you, I know it's not the, the uh, best song in the world, but uh, it's something that I've associated with our journey and with our podcast, and um, it kind of gets me going. It's a little different than your regular pop tune or country tune or rock and roll tune, but man, it's been a few weeks since I have heard that sound, and I am very, very happy to be back in your lives, and I am thrilled to have you back in my life as well. Uh, it's It's just... Um, it's been a whirlwind, everybody, an absolute whirlwind, to say the least. Now, one thing I can tell you, and I would like to see if you can relate to this particular um, series of events or this feeling, I recognized it uh, early this morning as I was actually going to my job, um, physically going to my job, literally stepped out of my car and walking down the hill. And what I recognized as I was walking towards my building, my place of employment, and I actually had to kind of stop and take it all in and think, was the fact that I wasn't depressed, I'm not really manic or hypomanic, I just felt really good. And at that moment in time, I recognized that each and every time I walked down the hill, to my job, that is a common time in which I can think back and recognize whether or not I am in a mood swing or not. And let me explain. Let me get into this a little bit deeper. Again, I stopped and I thought and I said, wow, everything is great today. It all seems to be going well. My morning started out well. I'm in a good mood or a stable mood, whereas let's go back to the depressive days, which have been extremely um, persistent over the last couple of podcasts, and if I put myself in the position of walking down that hill, there are days where I literally feel like I cannot walk down that hill, I look at the building and I want to cry, um, I, I'm literally dreading socializing with people, whereas today, none of those feelings were in my heart, were in my mind. I said, you know, I, I got to do what I got to do. This is going to be a good work day. I was looking forward to my meetings. And I've recognized at that moment in time this morning that if I was to ever judge or make a real solid judgment on how I was actually feeling or what state of mind or what bipolar swing I was in, Walking down that hill to work is an amazing opportunity for me to measure exactly how I'm feeling because think about this. That is the one place in which the circumstances around you 
as you're in that moment in time necessarily do not change. It's the same walk. It's the same environment. It's the same um, sights that you see, the same trees, the same cars, the same building. And when you put yourself in a position where you can actually, to some extent, statistically measure how you're feeling, um, I would say that doing it in a place where you are literally just about every day with none of those external factors. As you all know, you could be um, you could be in a store one day and it's a great walk and you feel good, but in that store, maybe a week later, somebody cuts in front of you or somebody is rude to you and sets you off in a bad mood and sometimes, and you know, let's say maybe you leave that store in a, in a pissy mood. Um, now, if you compare the week before while you were marching around in Walmart and enjoying yourself as compared to the moment that you're in Walmart now where you're angry and you're mad, there are external factors that play into your moods. And whether or not you're in a swing or not really doesn't matter because it's so hard to judge based on your environmental circumstances. Because normally we don't think of our environment as a way to determine how we're feeling. But if you are in a daily situation in which there are no external factors and you are recognizing that as you walk down that step each and every day or you open up that door and you do that each and every single day and you could actually feel a significant difference within your body it's a good indication, at least to me, to know exactly where I am in my mind. And I guess the overall summary of this is the difference in how I felt two weeks ago walking down that hill as to how I felt today is, was astronomical, which indicated to me that there was no question in the world as to what I was experiencing a few weeks ago. I was in a very deep, dark place in terms of my depression. And quite honestly, it lasted for a long time, a really long time. I don't want to sit here and count days and weeks, but it was a while, guys, and this is the first time in a long time that I've been relatively upbeat. Now, listen, there's good reason for it, and we'll get into that in a minute, but I also want you to know that it has not been an easy couple of weeks. Um, for those of you who do not follow me on Twitter um, or have not reached out to me via email to see how things are, I would like to announce that Mr. Joe, on March 9th, 2019, his wife gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. And I am now, and I just got the chills when I said that, um, and I am now the father of four children, a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 22-month-old, and a two-week-old baby. So Mr. Joe has been absent because of that. And I had warned you all, if you, if you didn't hear from Mr. Joe, there was a reason. And this was a good reason. It really was. It was, a, it was a real good reason. And I'm going to tell you right now that I have not been a trooper <laughs> throughout this process. Last week, I was home from work the entire week. I took paid time off um, just to be with my wife so we could adjust to the situation. And I was, according to her, nothing but depressed and anxious and miserable. And I made the birth of our new baby nothing but, um, I don't want to say a horrible week, but 
an anxious week for everybody. And, you know, that was kind of hurtful, not to hear it, but just hurtful overall to know that that was the overall mood and that was the overall feeling that I was giving people. Um, now, whether or not my wife is exaggerating um, based on my feelings last week or my actions last week, it's hard to say because she has not been herself either. This has been a huge adjustment. And I will tell you that my wife has uh, been crying uh, here and there. And one of the first things I asked her about was uh, whether or not she felt sad in, in a form of depression, and she immediately told me no, but we'll get into that in a moment. Now, as of this week, in which I went back to work, I, um, um, I unfortunately right, got thrown right back into the mix of things. I had some major, major trainings that I had to take a part of, whereas I was not the trainer this time. I had to renew a couple of certifications, um, pretty intense training, and to boot, I was very, very sick, uh, sick to the point where I actually lost my voice for a period of four days. I mean, literally gone, no voice whatsoever, bad cough, bad stuffy nose, bad runny nose, and ultimately had a fever. And my place of employment paid a lot of money for me to renew my certification for this particular, um, I guess, instructor thing that I do, I guess you could call it that, so I had to be there, I had to be there, plus this training was only going to be in Mr. Joe's neighborhood for this month only, and my, uh, every two years I have to get renewed for this particular certification, and that was up in May, so it was important that I attended this, now, apparently this week, and I, this I will agree with, I have been a nasty, just a nasty man, in general. I made my wife cry this morning. She says that each and every day this week I have woken up in an absolute horrid mood. I leave the house like an animal. I'm mean to everybody. I'm just nasty in general. Um, I snap. Um, I'll give you an example. This morning I woke up and I immediately argued with her about our bank account because I recognized that we had only $192 in it and $100 was about to come out for a credit card payment that I had scheduled. I needed gas. I needed a lot of things. So, of course, I yelled at her about that for not telling me about our finances when, really, in retrospect, I don't think she had any idea. I mean, she just had a baby. So, you know, she really has not been monitoring things all that well. And for the most part, as I say that, she really has been. <laughs> I mean, I say that she hasn't been, but she truthfully has been. And it just so happens that a number of payments to credit cards actually came out this morning. So as of yesterday, we had all this money in the bank, which she told me about. And I know, I do believe my wife, because she was able to tell me all the things that were on the... Um, the statements as of yesterday. So she checked as of yesterday and she had no concerns about our money. So I jumped the gun this morning. I've been very mean to my wife. I made her cry. And apparently one of the fears that I had was my wife was becoming a little depressed. And the truth of the matter is that Mr. Joe has really been the bulk of the reason as to why uh, my wife has been upset. And, and it's, it's sad. It really is. Um, it, it makes me sad to think that. Now, I, I have no choice but to tell you guys um, about how this all went down. 
in terms of the delivery, the pregnancy, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think you'll enjoy the story, or at least um, I'll make it a nice visual for you. Pro probably some husbands out there will be able to relate to this. Some women will certainly be able to relate to this, especially the women who have taken multiple trips to a hospital only to be sent home. Um, excited, thinking we're dilated, thinking we're getting ready to deliver, and then all of a sudden, bam, goodbye, you're going home. As you all know, on three separate occasions, my wife and I were sent to a hospital for a variety of reasons, all in which each and every time we were sent home packing. And I'm not going to go over the things in terms of why we went to the hospital, but one of the things happened to be a very, very um, serious virus that my wife was suffering from. And... Um, I believe that was our first visit into the hospital in which we were sent home, and she was diagnosed with a uh, virus, ultimately. She was vomiting. I mean, we were, she was at eight and a half months, and there was no reason why should she, why would she be vomiting. But yet she was. So her doctors insisted that we go to the hospital, and again, we were sent home. So, And then, again, two times after that, we were sent home. So... Fast forward to March 8th. Now, on March 9th, I actually had, and I've spoken about this in the past, uh, I play fantasy baseball, and I had a live draft. And for those of you who don't know what that means, it's really not a big deal. Ultimately, what it means is two things. When you play fantasy baseball, the vast majority of that is done online over a computer when you start your season. With Mr. Joe, in one of my leagues, I have what's called a live draft. So everybody who's in the league comes over, and we all get together, and we do our thing. And many, many hours of fun and picking players and building our teams, and it's just great. So we were due to draft on the 9th, March 9th, and at that point in time, uh, we knew my wife was three centimeters dilated, but absolutely no signs of contractions whatsoever, no signs of delivery, no signs of pregnancy occurring, not pregnancy, childbirth occurring at that moment in time. So my wife and I moved forward and said, you know what, listen, we're not delivering anytime soon. Let's, we know we're having this party tomorrow or, you know, draft, whatever you want to call it. So let's do what we do annually and let's order the food. So we called up, we ordered a three-foot hero, ordered wings, hot and mild, and this and that, a um, couple of hundred bucks, whatever, no big deal. It's not one of those things where I ask people to chip in, you bring your own beers, I don't drink, so none of it matters to me, you're not going to find any beers in my fridge, so you better bring your own stuff. Um, and other than that, I like to, you know, treat everybody to a nice meal and take it from there. So we, we placed our order confirm with the league on Friday night that we would see everybody tomorrow and kissed goodnight and went to bed. So, 4 a.m., I feel somebody tugging on my shoulder. And, of course, Mr. Joe is out like a light, and, you know, here I am, oh, 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 what? And Mr. Bipolar Joe's wife looks up in bed and says, something's not right. I said, well, what might that be? <laughs> she goes, I don't know. I'm feeling a lot of pain. I said, well, what kind of pain? I said, what does it feel like? She says, it feels like cramps. 
And I said, okay. I go, well, honey, that is the ultimate definition of a contraction. So I think it's time we start analyzing whether or not you're contracting and if they're coming and going and how long and, you know, the whole works, everybody. But at that point in time, she jumped out of bed, ran to the bathroom, and she had severe, severe diarrhea. Now, for those women out there who have experienced this before, it is actually your body kind of um, preparing. Sometimes the body will prepare for delivery. Um, almost like it kind of opens up and eases up and you know knows something's about to come out. So it's a very common occurrence for women to have diarrhea before childbirth. Um, in addition to that, my wife also started throwing up. So the combination of the two at 4 a.m. indicated to her that she was in the midst of another virus. And I said to her, I said, well, listen, I go, after she pooped her brains out, came back in the room, and she ran back in, pooped again, ran back out. I said, listen, I know you have diarrhea. I know you got all this stuff going on, but we really need to analyze as to whether or not these pains in your stomach are actually contractions or associated with some kind of a virus. I said, odds are this is you getting ready to have the baby. Her answer to me was, well, I don't give a you-know-what. I am not going back to that hospital and being sent home. So, from 4 a.m. to 6 a.m., I listened to my wife throw up, poop her brains out in agony. Agony. And let me tell you something. My wife does not complain about a damn thing. She is emotionally and physically the strongest woman that I've ever met in my entire life. And I kept asking her. I said, babe... I think it's time we go. I, I, I really do. Now, obviously, we have little Mickey, who's up in his room, and we need to take care of him. And thankfully, we had her sister, who only lives about 10 minutes from us. So when we thought we were ready to deliver, you know, simple phone call. Come on over, stay with Mickey, and we're off and running to the hospital. Um, that was the plan. Um, hopefully, you know, in a very, in a very calm, cool, collective way, uh, but clearly, this 4 a.m. occurrence did not start off in a calm and cool and collective way. Not to mention the fact that for two hours now, my wife is arguing with me about her pain level and whether or not she should go to the hospital. So at 6 a.m., of course, little Mickey wakes up and strolls down. Well, that doesn't stroll down. I go up and I get him and I stroll down the stairs and he jumps out of my arm. And my wife is in the bathroom on her hands and knees, or on her knees, vomiting in the toilet. And she starts crying, and she says, please take him away. I don't want him to see me like this. So I put him in our bed, and, you know, he's asking me, is mommy okay? 6 a.m., she opens the door and peeks out, and she says, call my sister. <laughs> and I said, okay. I said, well... So much for the last two hours. I go, I guess that's what it all, you know, all I needed to hear was that. She said, I can't stay here for another second. So called her sister, 10 minutes, she was over. When I tell you, everybody, this woman turned into an absolute monster. She was a maniac, an absolute maniac, the sweetest woman in the world. I, I, I thought she was going to tear my heart out and, and attack me and, and eat me alive. 
Um, she could not move. She could not bend over. She couldn't put on her shoes. Now, for my wife to walk out of a door and go to a hospital in a pair of Ugg slippers, you know something's up, okay? I literally had to carry her to my car. Got in the car. We drove. Now, the hospital was about 15, 20 minutes away. By the way, she told me afterwards that that was the absolute worst ride of her entire life. And again, you would never know it because she didn't say a peep in the car. Not a word. Nothing. But she said it was the most pain that she's ever been in her entire life. But she chose not to express that. Um, or at least further express it the way that she was in the house. Got to the hospital. We walked down the hallway, which we were very familiar with because we had already delivered there last year or two years ago when Mickey was born, not to mention the fact that we were there, obviously, three times before. And when I tell you guys, right out of a movie, bam, her water breaks right in the floor. She signs in. We run to the back. The resident doctor is there. They throw on this, I don't know, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. It wasn't even a table, one of those things that you put your legs up in. You know, you women know that stuff. Um, and... Uh, I knew things were not good because when we got into that room, there was a TV that was on very loud. And the first thing my wife did was she grabbed the remote control before anything else and she shut the TV without saying a word. And you could see the anger in her face. And, uh, you know, you, you know that feeling, that over-sensory feeling when you have sensory overload, when... You know, all those sounds. And, and us with bipolar, my God, if anybody knows that, you all know it. You don't have to be pregnant to understand what I'm talking about. There are times when, you know, whether it's dogs barking, alarms going off, whatever it might be, um, it doesn't even have to be those intense sounds. Sometimes when we are in a certain state of mind, whether it be mania or depression, those sounds will go right through us. Well, you could tell that my wife was ready to kill somebody. So they sat her down. She fought the entire time. Um, but yet again, as she's fighting, she's not screaming. She's not crying. She's just indicating how she feels. Simple as that. And she's saying, I'm in a lot of pain. And they go in and they check her. And you all know what that means. The resident doctor, who, by the way, I could not stand. But that's besides the point. And thank goodness um, we didn't have to deal with him for much longer. But, of course, he goes inside, and he is unable to feel anything. So he takes his hand out, and he says, I am so sorry. And, you know, this was really painful for her, even more so. He says, I am so sorry. Something was blocking his ability to get in there and see how dilated she was. So he said, I am so sorry I have to do this again. So here we go, ready to go again. He pulls out the fingers, or whatever the hell he does, and he says to us, Well, you are about eight or probably closer to nine centimeters dilated. <laughs> so he said, basically, you did the vast majority of your um, childbirth at home. It was a good thing you guys got here now. Um, at that moment in time, somebody came in from the, the station up front and said, Hey, are you parked in the security circle? They want you out of there. I said, you got to be kidding me. So I looked at the nurse. She said, You better get your ass out there because you're going to miss this baby. So me, like a, like a lunatic, running out, trying to find a place to park, putting... Uh, it was insane. I mean, running back in. Now, 
her sister's there, and my son is there, and the mother, and the father, and I'm like, oh my God. So I rush to the back, hopefully, you know, make uh, to go back to the room that we were in, but she wasn't there anymore. They had already rushed her to labor and delivery in a wheelchair. So I got in, and um, honestly, I thought she was going to kill me. I mean, you want to talk about a woman who has turned into the exorcist. I mean, I thought she was going to murder me. It was like, it was almost like she was blaming me for getting her pregnant. Um, that, and, and listen, again, you know, last time with the, with the last baby, she had an epidural, you know, halfway through. Um, so she essentially was doing this all on her own. Now, ironically, the staff came in. Now, the resident doctor, her blood pressure dropped uh, arose so badly that the resident doctor said, all right, we're going to have to put you on some medication to lower your blood pressure. In addition to that, you have to get these couple of bags of saline or whatever the hell they put into you um, before we even attempt to give you an epidural. As a matter of fact, we, when we talk to them, they may not even be able to give you one because you're close to nine centimeters dilated. So that even threw her more for a loop. Um, we were not happy about blood pressure medication. As a matter of fact, one of the nurses said, her doctor is on the way here now. Let's wait for him. And the resident doctor argued back and forth, back and forth. Thank goodness the doctor, and by the way, it was the same doctor who delivered Mickey. We absolutely loved this man. Loved him. And we were so grateful. And sure as anything, he walks in, he tells the resident doctor, get the hell out. She's not getting medication. I feel like her blood pressure is high because she's in pain. So he recommends an epidural. And believe it or not, they were actually able to give her one. Um, and I stood outside, and for those husbands who stand outside and hear that go on, well, my God, it took a long time to get that puppy in. It did not sound like a pleasant experience, but when I walked back in, the exorcist was now like Mary Poppins. Um, happy as a you-know-what, a pig in poop. And, um, you know, it was like a whole different ball game. So, it's about 8, 10 a.m. in the morning. Mr. Joe time. And the doctor, or one of the nurses, comes in and she says, I want you to lay on your side now. She lays on her side and she goes, if by any chance you feel like you have to push, let us know. She lays on her side, and she's like, oh, my God, this hurts. Doctor comes in. He says, do me a favor, five minutes. Just stick it out for five minutes. I know you're in pain, but a lot of times this helps drop the baby, apparently. So she's on her side. She's about three minutes in, and she goes, I don't need to wait here five minutes. I need to push. And I'm like, oh, boy. We ring the bell. Everybody comes running in like maniacs. And at 8.15, now we have doctors putting on, they're scrubbing in. I mean, it's, this is like a movie, guys. I'm ready to die because I can't believe what's happening. Everything happened so fast in front of my face. We got doctors ripping out, you know, sanitary things and this and that. 8.15, my wife starts pushing. My little girl was born at 8.35. And uh, it's a miracle. An absolute miracle. I'm so sorry. An absolute miracle. She's beautiful. She's healthy. Um, and uh, I'm just very grateful. Very grateful that, um, that we made it through. I'm so sorry, everybody.
Woof, okay. Let me pull myself together. Um, so, oh God, I'm really, really sorry. So anyway, nevertheless, she only stayed a day. She insisted that they send her home, which they did. Um, apparently, well, not apparently, she only had to get one stitch. And um, she had an amazing delivery. She really did. And the next day she was home and um, we were with our family. Now, here's what I will say. The baby thing has been easy. And by the way, I haven't come up with, a, with an anonymous name for her yet. If you have any ideas, Mr. Joe BP at Yahoo.com, I'd like my audience to name my little girl, okay, if we can. And um, a couple of, couple of people send me some emails, let me know what you want to name her, and I'm going to pick the best name, okay? She's got a beautiful name, but we're not going to use that. Um, so the baby's been relatively easy. Now, you know, all those annoying things that go along with parents who like to spoil their baby. She doesn't want to be put down. She doesn't want to sleep in anything. Nothing but our arms. All the common mistakes that we make. And we're trying to move ourselves out of that. But for the most part, you know, these babies are easy at this point in time. Really. I, I really do believe that. What do they do? They eat and they sleep. And unfortunately, you lose a little bit of sleep. The most difficult thing has been my little guy, Mickey. He is jealous. He is beside himself. Every morning, little Mickey is used to coming in on bed and climbing up and laying with my wife. Now, he'll, he'll cuddle with me. He'll snuggle. He'll lay with me, sit on my lap. I mean, quite honestly, he usually chooses me over anybody else any time of the day other than the morning. That's mommy time. And for what it's worth... Every morning that he's coming to bed, mommy has been feeding baby. So, the lack of sleep has been compounded by the lack of sleep because of my little 22-month-old. He is waking up in the middle of the night, screaming, yelling, he's hitting, he's tantruming. Um, in the morning, you know, if he sees my wife with the baby, he's been a monster. You know, it's really hard, guys, when your little guy, I'll give you an example... Today was actually not so bad because the baby was sleeping. Um, so he was able to climb up onto my wife. And actually yesterday, believe it or not, I got him to lay with me as my wife was on the couch with the baby. I was able to get him back to bed. But, man, it is there is nothing like 4.30 in the morning. Uh, you got a little guy who's normally been such a good boy, you know, screaming and yelling. In full sentences, by the way. I counted the words in one of the sentences. My son speaks in eight-word sentences at 22 months old. It's not even normal. The kid is not even normal. I don't understand how the hell he does it, but he does it. So he's a smart little boy. He really is. He's a smart little boy. Uh, but I do think we're turning the corner. But there is, again, nothing like hearing the crying and the screaming and the, the yelling and the, you know, the whining as soon as you open your eyes after you've had a horrible night of sleep to begin with from a baby, from a newborn. So that's been our most difficult task. Now, what occurred the first couple of days that we were home was the behavior was so bad and my wife was disciplining him and it did not go over well. There was one point in which she had him in the room, and she was yelling at him, and, you know, he's crying and screaming and blah, 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 you know, things that we've never dealt with with this little boy. And obviously, this is very common. It's all jealousy-related, all that stuff. So, um, 
she came out of that room and actually grandma was there, her mom, and she took you know, uh, my little guy Mickey and kind of took over once everything was settled down and then of course mommy took the little baby and all of a sudden mommy started hysterical crying and you know my mother-in-law was trying to console her and you know what's wrong you know what's and ultimately just so you know the crying spells that she's had have been related to the fact that she feels so guilty yelling at this little boy is really what it comes down to because he's been so good and she feels bad that she can't give her attention to him fully anymore and now when she does give her attention to him it's nothing but fighting and trying to make him happy and understand and she was hysterical crying for many many days you know trying to discipline him and you know none of this behavior is really he doesn't lash out at me he really doesn't he lashes out at mommy um, now, when I say he doesn't lash out at me, maybe not directly, but my God, you know, when I walk into his room and go to get him and he says, you know, I want to go sleep with mommy. And I say, well, come on down. And he's like, ah, rah, 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 like a maniac. So I get the, you know, I, I get most of the whining and the crying and she's getting the, you know, the hitting and the, 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 I don't want to call it hatred by any stretch of the imagination, but this, this jealousy you know, which is very, very typical. And my wife has been crying over the fact that, you know, she's been having to yell at him and discipline him. And I will say this, that it's, um, although his behavior has been steadily improving, the one good thing is my wife is no longer crying over it. She's you know, trying to manage it a little better. But one of the things that I did do uh, upon one of her crying spells is I asked her again. I said, I said, babe, I said, you know, you need to explain to me why you're crying. I said, you don't need to be embarrassed. I said, you understand that um, I would say, you know, about 50 to 75% of women after childbirth, they experience postpartum depression. And it would not be uncommon if you had it and you need to tell me and we need to work through it together. And she insisted that it was nothing but the, uh, you know, the jealousy thing going on, and I believe her. I do. I believe her because she is not. Um, I, I'm sorry. I, I, did I say 50 to 75 percent? No, that's not. That's not true. <laughs> about 15 percent. About 15. Because I wrote. I wrote a couple of things down here. Believe it or not, 50 to 75 percent is what we call baby blues. Now, Mr. Joe doesn't write things down a lot, but I am also not an expert, as you can hear in my papers, an expert in postpartum depression, so I really had to write the statistics down. About 15% of new moms, they experience that postpartum depression. So I needed her to, you know, be honest with me. And, and if anything in the world, I know my wife is always honest with me, and I don't see any of those clinical signs of postpartum depression. Um, so I think we're in the clear in terms of that. I also think it's very important for anybody out there who may be um, pregnant, you know, with bipolar disorder or even not, even not, maybe just pregnant or ready to conceive or have a baby. It is something that I don't want you to worry about necessarily, unless you have a mental illness, then, you know, you're a little bit heightened in terms of the risk, but... Keep it in mind, okay? It's treatable. 
but it's also something that you got to pay very good attention to, okay? Um, very important. And what I was referring to before, the 50 to 75%, that is actually what they call postpartum baby blues. So it's a little less severe from that form of postpartum depression and you know, 50 to 75% of those moms, if they have the baby blues, they're going to experience some, I guess you could call them negative feelings after delivering. And it's typically something that goes on about four or five days after childbirth, uh, you know, and it, it's, again, it's relatively common. And I know this, I know with the baby blues, people will cry for no apparent reason. And my wife had a pretty damn good reason for crying. Uh, so if if you are experiencing baby blues, one of the things you want to look out for is that crying aspect for no apparent reason. Obviously, some mood swings if you've become irritable and anxious. And, you know, for what it's worth, my wife does not appear that way at all. That overwhelming feeling, which, you know what? I mean, listen, it comes with giving birth to a child. It comes with a new addition to a family. Um... But if you start to see a combination of these things, it, along with maybe like a change in your diet and your sleeping, and I'm not referring to the baby waking up and you feeding the baby, but you just literally not sleeping at all and not eating well, um, you, it's, it's safe to say if you have all those symptoms, you may have the baby blues. And I, I can't help but ask myself, uh, do I have it? Do I have the damn baby blues? I mean, come on. Um, it's so sad. You know, when you have bipolar disorder, you just you just become a monster sometimes. And I feel horrible about it. Here I am. I'm not the one that pushed. I'm not the one that delivered. You know, I'm really not, obviously. And I'm sitting here and saying to myself, do I have postpartum baby blues? I mean, it just sucks. It really sucks that I had to behave this way. Um, although, again, I'm feeling much better. Uh, the good thing is, from what I understand with baby blues, those negative feelings, they typically resolve themselves on their own within about two weeks. So maybe even a week, a week or two. Now, moving on to the more serious one, uh, about 15% of new moms, they experience what we refer to as postpartum depression. And that ironically, can actually not only happen right after birth, but believe it or not, even can occur for up to a year after you've given birth to your child. And I found that to be inc incredibly interesting. That is something that I did not know, and it's something that I pulled off the Internet when I first saw my wife crying. And I, of course, like everything that Mr. Joe does, even though I advise my audience not to do it, it's Google, Google, Google. I mean, guys, Mr. Joe is such a psychotic lunatic, such a classified wackadoo, that because my daughter's legs were not outstretched and they were very stiffened and bent, I spent hours on the Internet looking it up and basically came to the conclusion that my baby girl had several palsy. I mean, that's what an idiot I am. And within a couple of days, her legs were stretched. She was kicking. She's strong. I mean, the kid is lifting her head. She's almost rolling over at two weeks old. I mean, it's insane. So for me to even go that way is just absurd. But I did look up, of course, postpartum depression. And I found it so interesting to see that it could actually happen for up to a year. And 
Another thing that I, I um, researched and read that was postpartum depression, uh, as a woman, you're going to have those good days, those bad days, and those good days and bad days, for the most part, postpartum depression, believe it or not, can usually resolve in about two weeks of time on its own. And if it does not, you're going to have to seek help. You are. You're going to maybe have to take some medication. Some of the symptoms that you want to look out for when it comes to postpartum depression, um, thoughts of hurting the baby, thoughts of hurting yourself, that's a very common one. Okay, you gotta, I mean, man, God, God, guys, if, even if you only have that symptom, reach out to your doctor. Okay, it's very important. But uh, um, among other things, you would have no interest in the baby, possibly, no interest in your family and your friends, and, you know, you don't want anybody coming over to see you or see the baby. Um, you know, almost, you know, very typical to depression, you know, losing interest in those things that you normally would like, feeling worthless and, and having a guilty feeling and trouble sleeping and eating and that sad, hopeless, overwhelmed feeling that everybody with bipolar disorder who is in a depressive state of mind can certainly um, relate to. So again, if you are feeling any of those things uh, after delivering your child, you have to call a doctor, okay? Now, um, just want to go over a couple of other things that are associated with postpartum depression. Uh, we've talked about baby blues. We've talked about the most common um, named depression that most of us all know, which is the postpartum depression. But believe it or not, there is also something that is referred to as postpartum anxiety. And that occurs in about 10% of women who have just delivered a baby. And for the most part, really what it is, it's anxiety either alone or anxiety in combination with that depression. And um, if you've just delivered and you're, you're experiencing panic attacks and, again, changes in your eating habits and your sleeping habits, you're dealing with some racing thoughts, constantly worrying, um, that, that impending doom, fearing that something bad will happen. Nobody could relate to that better than Mr. Joe. Um, trouble sitting still and focusing and even some physical symptoms, you know, hot flashes, dizziness, nausea. It is treatable, everybody. You're essentially not going to sit here and tell you how to treat it. You have to contact your doctor. But I would imagine that you could treat it just like, um, to some extent, regular anxiety. I may be wrong. Don't quote me on that. But it is treatable. Um, and basically, um, it's brought on, listen, if you've dealt with anxiety in the past, you probably might be a little bit more susceptible to it, but you don't have to have any, any history of mental illness in order to be diagnosed with any of these disorders, so keep that in mind. Now, um, another one that I'd like to go over is something called postpartum obsessive compulsive disorder. That affects about 3 to 5% of women, and... The symptoms are just outrageous. I mean, you know, you talk about OCD, and we've covered OCD many times. Combine that with the birth and the care of your child. Um, some examples would be like overly um, occupied with keeping your baby safe and, um, you know, worrying that something is going to happen, doing things over and over to relieve that anxiety, um, cleaning, feeding the baby, 
checking and rechecking and maybe even counting. You know, Mr. Wackadoo Joe has done that a little bit here. So here we go. You know, of course, didn't deliver. Not a woman, but he's got postpartum OCD. Um, a lot of the women that are experiencing that OCD postpartum, believe it or not, they actually will recognize their obsessions um, and feel like really horrible about it. And some other things you want to keep in mind, if you are experiencing or dealing with OCD postpartum, you will sometimes have these persistent, disturbing mental images of your baby and possibly even fear of being alone with your child. And ultimately, just like anything else when it comes to OCD, think about it, guys. It, it, it could very easily get in the way of taking care of your little one or even engaging with your little guy or girl, okay? Just the same way that OCD can affect multiple things in a person's life, okay? But again, 3 to 5% of women will experience that, so um, something to keep in mind. There is another one that is called postpartum. I don't even know the name. I have my little piece of paper here. Postpartum, oh, here we go. Postpartum uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. How do you like that? I remember this one good. I, listen, I know all these things because it's very easy to relate them. All I need is the names, um, and I could relate it to the actual mental illness and just combine some of the baby stuff that goes along with it. But with post-traumatic stress disorder through a postpartum um, uh, view, I guess you could say, it's basically you're, you've experienced like some real drama in your childbirth or maybe even right after childbirth um, or even maybe some perceived drama so to speak you know um, now the good news is well, only one to six percent of women will deal with postpartum post-traumatic stress disorder and think about it let's say you were well prepared to have a c-section somebody with an unplanned c-section like my wife man and she was completely convinced she was given regular vaginal childbirth. But man, she would not have been happy if she had to give a C-section. So imagine, you know, having an unplanned C-section, that could be very traumatic. You know, complications, let's say, with the umbilical cord. I'll never forget when my little guy, Mickey, oh my God, it still, it still traumatizes me. I was worried to death because when he came out, the cord was wrapped around his neck. And he wasn't crying, and I could not help but think about that with my little girl when she was born. My little guy, my 13-year-old, when he was born, he was sucked out with a vacuum. I nearly had a, I nearly died of a heart attack myself when I saw his head. He had that cone head. I, I, I said, dear God, I said, something's wrong with my child. I said, he's deformed. I did. I said, he's deformed. In my head, I said, he's deformed. I mean... Um, until I, you know, I was young when I had him, and then I realized as his head became back to normal that it was uh, very typical for that to happen. Um, you know, if your baby has to stay in the NICU or something like that, even if you have bad doctors. I mean, think about that moron resident doctor. God, I mean, if he would have delivered our baby, I probably would have pushed him out of the way and delivered myself. And by the way, not even joking about delivering by ourselves. They told us at the hospital, had we have waited 20 minutes longer, it would have been unsafe for us to get in the car, and I would have had to deliver at home. So go figure, okay? Could you imagine Mr. Joe, Mr. Bipolar Joe delivering a baby in his house 
by the way, with the 22-month-old by my side. I mean, come on. I'd jump out of, I'd jump out a window. Um, so bad doctors would certainly be something that would add to post-traumatic stress disorder through postpartum. Um, and I guess, you know, some things that would occur during that phase is very typical to what postpartum, I mean, traumatic stress disorder is, you know, nightmares, flashbacks, and I would imagine some parents, some moms will even avoid certain things that will bring them back to that moment, whether it be, you know, just simply walking into a hospital or some kind of smell they associate with the childbirth delivery, um, you know, just avoiding those things. Now, one final thing, and I know Mr. Joe is you know, taking up a lot of your time today. And again, I apologize for that. I mean, we're running about 48 minutes now, but I do want to concentrate on one last thing, and I did not even know that this existed. And thankfully, only one or two out of every 1,000 pregnancies, you will see a situation like this, but there is something called postpartum psychosis. And I really probably don't even have to explain this to those of you who have bipolar disorder or schizoaffective disorder and deal with psychosis. But uh, ultimately, it's the onset is, is extremely sudden, probably frightening as all hell for somebody who's never experienced before because I've dealt with it before myself and it still scares the hell out of me at times if I can't decipher whether or not it's real or, um, you know, my mind me hallucinating, but that onset is sudden and severe, and usually within about two weeks or three weeks of time after you've given birth, you're going to um, experience basically psychosis, and it's like that loss of touch with reality, acting like a, a, a crazy woman, ultimately a wackadoo, having suicidal thoughts, hallucinations, delusions, all the wonderful things that go along with psychosis, even thinking about possibly hurting the baby, um, having some hyperactivity, and obviously almost um, very similar to, um, I guess you could call it rapid cycling with bipolar disorder because you might also have some rapid mood swings. So could be very, very severe, guys. The ultimate um, lesson to be learned here is if you are a woman and you're experiencing any of, the, any of these things, you have to see a doctor. And if you are a father uh, um, and you notice that your wife seems to be dealing with some of these things, you certainly want to be supportive, uh, make sure that you're there and um, work together through it and make sure that you uh, get her to a doctor. Um, you know, you can't, you can't put her over your shoulder and carry her out like a caveman, but if you're going to be a good husband and a good dad and all those things, you're going to be supportive and you're going to work through it. And the good thing is, is all of these things are treatable, but they certainly suck as you're going through them. And Mr. Joe... You know, throw on a wig, a dress, a bra, onto Mr. Joe. Call me Mrs. Bipolar Joe, and you would you would probably have doubts about who actually had a baby, okay, and who was suffering from all of these things, because it certainly isn't my wife. Now, thankfully, I turned the corner today. Again, I don't know if this has more to do with my son's behavior. Um, you know, I was very anxious about the fact that I did not go to work last week. That bothered me a lot. That was a tough thing to deal with. But 
Here we are. We're back. It's the weekend. Believe it or not, Mr. Joe is actually going to hold the live draft tomorrow. Everybody thinks I'm insane. So me and my wife are able to do these things. They're all like, you're not going to do this with a newborn baby. We can't wait. We want everybody to see the baby. We want our 22-month-old to see everybody. He's never really met them. Last time they were around, he, he was barely walking, you know, so... Very exciting for us. We're looking forward to that. Um, it's just been a very, very exciting time. I want to apologize again for getting emotional before. I, I do my very best to keep it in check while I'm on my podcast here. And just sometimes um, i got to let loose. And, you know, again, it's always about honesty with Mr. Joe. And I could easily press the pause button and cut that kind of stuff out. But I chose not to. I chose not to because... It's important that we remain honest with each other. So that is what has gone on over the last two weeks. And I have to tell you, once again, I missed you guys a tremendous deal. Our podcast will resume. They will go back to the way they were every other day, I'm hoping, starting on Monday. Um, if we can't do every other day, you'll at least get a couple of podcasts throughout the week from Mr. Joe. Because I'll tell you right now, there is no way on God's green earth that I will ever have any more wives or children. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. I got to get it chopped off, everybody. If you are living with a mental illness and you're doing well, I ask that you continue to work hard. If you love or you care about somebody with a mental illness or a drug addiction, I ask that you continue to support that person the very best way that you know how. And if you are struggling right now with a mental illness, I ask that you continue to fight continue to battle, and most importantly, soldier on. Thank you so much for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Can't wait to be back real soon. Love you guys. Miss you. I'll see you again in a couple of days.